Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hi, this is Lucy Arnaz. You're listening to TV Confidential. President Kennedy and Governor John Connolly of Texas have been cut down by assassins' bullets in downtown Dallas. Ed Robertson, welcome you to this week's edition of TV Confidential, radio talk show about television. Then we'll welcome back John Barber in our second hour. John Barber, five-time Emmy Award-winning writer, producer, director, journalist, and cultural critic. John Barber, also the longtime movie critic for Los Angeles Magazine, former critic at large for NBC Channel 4, the NBC affiliate in Los Angeles, and the creator, producer, principal writer, and one of the original hosts of NBC. Sees real people. John Barber, also the only man who has produced three films on the subject of the JFK assassination. This coming Wednesday, November 22nd, marks the 60th anniversary of the assassination of John F. Kennedy. It will also be the day of the world premiere of John's third film on the Kennedy assassination. We'll ask him about that. We'll also talk about some of John's other credits in television, including his appearance on what turned out to be the most watched episode ever of AMC's Breaking Bad. John Barber will join us in our second hour. We hope you stay tuned for that. In the meantime, we'll begin our first hour by bringing you part two of our encore presentation of the special joint edition of This Week in TV History and the Sounds of Lost Television that originally aired in November 2013, in which Tony Figueroa, Donna Allen, Phil Grice, and I look back at how network television news covered the events of November 22, 1963, the assassination of President John F. Kennedy, a seminal moment in the lives of baby boomers and a seminal moment in many respects for Phil Grice and archival television audio. As fate would have it, Phil was home that day watching NBC television at 1.45 p.m. Eastern Standard Time when he happened to record a news bulletin from announcer Don Pardo. Pardo was the booth announcer who read the news bulletin announcing the shooting of John F. Kennedy, but for a number of reasons, NBC News had no recording of the Don Pardo bulletins. That footage was assumed to be lost forever until 1988, when Phil realized that he was the only one to have actually made a recording of that iconic moment. If you missed part one of our conversation with Phil and Tony and Donna, that is available right now for listening on demand on the TV Confidential podcast, which you can find wherever you find podcasts, among other things. We heard highlights of Phil's conversation with NBC announcer Don Pardo, who became NBC News announcer Don Pardo on that afternoon. We have one more clip of Phil's conversation with Don Pardo from May of 1998. We'll play in just a second. But first, we're talking before Phil about how Pardo was out of his element 
He was not a newsman, but he became a newsman in that moment. Yeah. Uh, in this final clip, Phil, as long as you had him on the phone, you got him talking about his early career in television, didn't you? It was really um, fascinating to me because here you have someone who's still active and he uh, literally went on the contract with NBC in June of 1944. That's a long time ago. We're talking going on 70 years. Yeah. And uh, it's amazing. I mean, he to me is the equivalent of what um, in broadcasting announcing as what uh, Vince Scully is to uh, announcing uh, baseball, Dodger games. So um, you have two real briefs there. And uh, I, I really got a big kick out of uh, his reminiscences about back in 1946 when he says there were only 60 television sets in New York City. He was asked to go out to uh, Yankee Stadium and uh, announce a baseball game. And he had very little experience doing that. And, and again, this is a time when not, as you say, not, not a lot of people had television. You, you don't know whether anybody's going to be listening to you. Yeah. Correct. Well, there, there are going to be a lot more than 60 people listening to Don Pardo uh, right now as we play our final clip from Phil's conversation with Don Pardo from May 1998. I remember doing a, a Yankee game, four and a half innings of baseball. Really? In 1946. Wow. Imagine that. So uh, they sent me out with a mobile unit, you know, nobody knew what, what was going on. And there were only 60 television sets in New York at the time. I didn't want to do it. Incredible. I was assigned to do it. So they sent me to Yankee Stadium, and I did four and a half innings with Bob Stanton. He was the sportsman here at NBC. And uh, I did four and a half innings. The Yankees at the Yankee Stadium then... Uh, a couple of weeks later, they sent me to the polo grounds to do a giant game. And then later on, they sent me to Ebbets Field to do a Brooklyn game, you know. That uh, seems... Experimental. That, you could have been the uh, the, the pre-Mel Allen of television. Yeah, well, I did it before uh, Mel Allen got then, But I never wanted to do it because uh, I loved uh, Mel Allen, and, and I met him a few times, and I knew him pretty fairly well. But... Uh, Later on, because I was a big fan of Mel Allen's in radio, you know. Right. And that's how they assigned me, you know, here at NBC. The supervisor one day said, hey, do uh, you know anything about baseball? And I said, sure, sure, you know, like I knew it all, you know. Isn't it amazing how hard to scout the things were in those days where you were really sent wherever the breaking story was or wherever they had a need for a particular announcer, and there you were. Yeah. So this is the way they, they assigned me to it, and I didn't want to do it because... Who the hell cares? There's only 60 television people that's going to hear me. What's it going to do for my career? You know, I just came up. I came up here in 1944, wow. Rhode Island. Don Pardo in conversation. What's it going to do for my career? Yeah. Uh, Don Pardo in conversation with Phil Grice, May 1998, reminiscing about his early career in television. It's part of a much longer conversation, which Phil... Uh, got Don to reminisce uh, what he was thinking at the moment when he broke the news of the assassination of John F. Kennedy on NBC News on the afternoon of November 22, 1963. You know, in all deference to uh, lovable and wonderful Don Pardo, I pulled a variety review from Saturday, August the 10th, 1946, baseball. The Red Sox against 
the Yanks. Don Pablo and Jack Lightcap. I'm not familiar with the name, but they call an out. And it's state. WNBT, NBC, New York. National pastime as a natural for video as forcibly demonstrated by NBC sports staff this Saturday in coverage of the second game in a crucial baseball series. Most interesting, outside of the content itself, was the excellent picture transmitted on a dark, muggy day. Three-image orthocon cameras were not hindered in the least by low-hanging clouds, and players were easily recognizable. In spite of the good camera work, the program was not all cake. Commentary by Don Pardo, who evidently hasn't looked at many baseball games, was extremely weak. With ball fans, the only video audience who will sit three hours in front of our receiver for a game commentary, they will have to uh, be uh, more hep to hold listeners. And Pardo's was only annoying. Uh, he did not get a good review, and that's why I guess we don't reveal him as the Vince Scully Allen of the uh, announcing set, but he went into what certainly becomes an icon announcer with regard to everything else. I do I do find it funny that they do give high marks to the orthogon uh, image <laughs> of the camera, which is, you know, that's... It's incredible. In August 1946, this was only, to the best of my research, the third uh, NBC televised baseball game. I have one here May 30th, 45, with Bill Stern announcing. Uh, I have one from May 26, 1946, with Bob Stanton announcing a Boston Braves game. Um, I could not find that Ebbets Field game or that Polo Grounds game. Well, I guess Pardo was on to something when he said, "What uh, is, is this going to be good for my career? <laughs> I don't think it, it wasn't good for anybody. <laughs> but uh, you, you, you know, the way that they were covering baseball on television yeah. just at that time, it is still pretty amazing that, uh, you know, that people could actually see a game and, and the technology. Absolutely. Hey, that, yeah. You know, we, we tend to take things for granted as anything progresses, anything. Uh, when you go back to uh, the groundbreaking uh, moments of any discovery, any new invention, there's a thrill that maybe never, never surpasses what comes later. An orthogon, by the way, you know, the, the image tube in that camera was nicknamed the Emmy. And uh, when the Television Academy was going to have an award, they were going to name it the Emmy until somebody designed the trophy to be a girl. And so the Emmy became Emmy. So the I turned into an E because they wanted to feminize the, the name. But that was actually, uh, the orthogon was, without that, we wouldn't have television broadcasting as we know it. I think even if they called it the Emmy, most people would, would probably say Emmy. Fair. Yeah. Yeah. Because looking at her, yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm, she's hardly a girl. She's very much a woman. Oh, yes, yeah, there you go. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser. Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. One more item. Our friends at Coda Life offer group sound bath meditations once a month at the Women's Club of South Pasadena. A sound bath is a deeply immersive experience that uses sound waves generated from music and 
instruments in an intentional flow to create deliberate relaxation that produces renewal and recovery, both for the central nervous system and the energetic body. For more information, go to cotalife.com, C-O-T-A-L-I-F-E, cotalife.com, or at cotalifegoddess on Instagram. Hi, this is Robert Dobby, and you're listening to TV Confidential. We're taking a look at uh, how television news covered the events of November 22nd, 1963, along with Phil Grace, Tony Figueroa, and Donna Allen. Now, of course, for most, uh, for many of us, the iconic image, other, I guess other than the, the Zabruder film, uh, is, at least in terms of network television, a Walter Cronkite Cronkite, yeah. briefly losing his composure after he announced uh, the death of John F. Kennedy on CBS television. Phil, you've not only given us a clip of that, you've also given us a clip of Walter Cronkite in conversation with Aaron Brown, Aaron Brown, who looked to Cronkite as a mentor. Yes, uh, it was a wonderful uh, one-on-one interview, uh, Cronkite and Aaron Brown. And just to put it in perspective, Walter Cronkite did at first bulletin on CBS when uh, only um, a card was shown, no uh, visual image of uh, Walter Cronkite at 1.40 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. He came on with one more bulletin. All three networks were live with picture at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. NBC was the first at 1.57, but ABC and CBS come comes on live with picture, and Walter Cronkite then stays for many, many, many hours, and we all remember that very, very heartfelt moment when the word um, comes to Cronkite that uh, President Kennedy was dead, and he gulped uh, and uh, tries to fight his, his own tears, and um, his composure uh, really is staggered for a moment, and then he regains that, and he talks with Aaron about that moment, which I thought was terrific. We're going to listen to Cronkite in conversation with Brown right now. How long after you got on television did you find out that the president was had been shot, and fatally shot? We didn't learn that he'd been fatally shot until they announced that he was dead. That uh, they never gave us any kind of a hospital bulletin that he was even critical. At the airport in Dallas, uh, the uh, and throughout the streets of Dallas, the Dallas police had been augmented by some 400 uh, policemen called in on their. Obviously, the the magnitude of the moment had hit you. I mean, you knew this was as serious as anything you had ever done and television had ever done. Were you nervous? No. I don't think so. Uh, no, I wasn't nervous at all. There, you know, Aaron, the, the thing about a situation like that, that you're living through as a living on-air reporter at the moment, uh, at that time, the, the, the job is everything. You've got to concentrate on doing what you're supposed to do and are trained to do. And I think the same thing is true of us news people, because I, I had no, no personal sense of tragedy in this thing until the moment when I had to say he was dead. From Dallas, Texas, the flash, apparently official, President Kennedy 
died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, 2 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, some 38 minutes ago. You take off your glasses and you wipe a tear. How do you, when you think about that moment now, 40 years later, would you do it differently? Probably not, because that moment was purely extemporaneous in every sense of the word. It, uh, I certainly, it wasn't, I, I hadn't planned to have a tear in my eye at that moment at all. I wouldn't have thought of that. Uh, I wouldn't ever have yielded to that if it had been a thought. Do you regret it? No, I don't regret it at all. I, uh, not, not, not at all. I uh, would have regretted it if I'd broken down and couldn't have continued. That I would have regretted. Walter Cronkite is speaking candidly and very reflectively about his reaction as he uh, read, broke, broke the news of the death of John F. Kennedy on CBS television on the afternoon of Friday, November 22nd, 1963. I think that was a really great exchange. I, I don't know of another uh, exchange that was so uh, personal uh, and uh, with that same kind of retrospective, that really was saying it all. Uh, and, and again, when you think about getting that clash that he got, uh, especially knowing the finality of it all, and everything was happening so quickly, he regained his composure and and did a great job and, and continued uh, I, to report. I think, you know, there's probably a psychological explanation. You know, when you receive the news, you can be composed and alert, but when you have to convey that same news to somebody else, right. it's, a, it's, it's, it's a different thing. Well, it's, it's, as he said, it's as he said, there was no personal connection to him, which I assume he meant being, being a human being as opposed yeah. to an announcer, you know, because it's like not only am I announcing this to the world, my president has died. Yeah. Yes. You know, the closest I can come to emphasize, as you might know, I, I've been a uh, uh, an adjunct professor at the Bell of Manhattan Community College for the past 11 years, cinematography, lighting, and um, recently I lost a, a student uh, who uh, was 31 years old, who had a two-year battle with uh, leukemia, and I spoke at the funeral, and I was very composed, I felt, you know, for most of it, and at the end I said, I love you. And boy, I almost lost it. Yeah. And I, in my mind, I, you know, I wanted to say that, but the act of saying it, yeah. I, I, I could see how something else gets triggered. And just thinking off the top of my head, in a way, it's jumping forward 48 years from 11:22:63 to 9:11:01. At least. For people who watch CNN, which I tended to do, when, 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 a, when a major story breaks, I tend to watch CNN. And at the time, Aaron Brown was the face of CNN. And he wasn't on as nonstop as Walter Cronkite was, but I remember within a couple of hours of the second airplane, they went to Brown on top, on the roof of the CNN building, building in, in New York. York. Yeah. And I think he was in his shirt sleeves, not for effect, but because it was September and it was hot in yeah. New York. And I realize Aaron Brown has his detractors. I'm not one of them. 
I like the fact that Aaron Brown was professional, and yet he can exude warmth in a very natural way, and it kind of humanized a lot of stories. And in a way, and you don't think of that in terms of Cronkite, but in that one moment, Cronkite reminded you that he wasn't just the most trusted man in America, he was also a human being. Yes. Well, it also makes me think of when Dan Rather was on Letterman shortly after 9-11, and they were, you know, he's talking to the serious journalist, and then when uh, he's talking to the human being, and that's when Dan Rather breaks down, and Dan Rather actually is apologizing for breaking down, and Letterman decided, no, now's a good time to cut to commercial and let you you know, get composed. And he says, no, you're a human being. You have no reason to apologize. But he, if you could imagine, and I would use the uh, kind of the eulogy analogy, you know, you could rehearse your speech. And I've, I've been there too, where you've rehearsed it and you got your timing down and you got your pace and, and all of that. And then you just have one little anecdote or something like that. And it triggers and you have absolutely no control of it. Yeah. Once you make the connection, you become a human being. Yeah, and, and, and that's what makes live anything broadcasting so wonderful. And when you can see, and it's it's also nice to see that the the, the professional uh, people, the people who speak for a living, mm-hmm. that they can have those moments of humanity. I think it it really does make that connection to the audience. And the public is accepting of that. It's very, very accepting. I don't know anyone who's been offended by seeing a professional broadcaster become a human being for a few moments during. Uh, national crisis or a story that affects them personally. You know, and except, and I agree with you, Donna, except for uh, news, sports, most things are not live. And most things that would have some aberration, there would be a cut, and they would rotate, they'd back it up, and you would have the perfection. And it's very stagey, very controlled. Something that not so long ago was just the opposite. We're taking a look at uh, how television news covered the events of November 22, 1963, along with Phil Grace, Tony Figueroa, and Donna Allen. We'll continue our conversation with Phil, Tony, and Donna after this quick timeout here on TV Confidential. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411 or visit FrontPorchRealtyGroup.com for more information on how they can help you.